Let's do this. Uh, before we start, as we talk about this bitter root that can sometimes grow in us and how do we get rid of it, let's ask God to help us. Lord, thanks so much that we are able to be together this morning. And this is a, this is a tough sermon because sometimes, even though we know we need to get rid of anger quickly, sometimes we don't. And we allow it to fester, we allow it to get into our lives in such a way that it, it, it causes us problems. And we might not even realize that it's happening. Uh, and we're just asking you to help us to have an understanding of your word today and give us a desire to apply it to our lives. And we're asking for your Holy Spirit to do all of the, the, the important spiritual work that needs to happen in our hearts and minds today. And we'll ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you know that our youngest daughter, Faith, had a number of surgeries when she was young, and those surgeries had to do with uh, different things that she was born with, uh, some abnormalities that needed to be uh, addressed. Uh, but one of those surgeries, I forget how many it was total, but one of those surgeries was self-induced, had nothing to do with abnormalities that she was born with. One of them was self-induced. Uh, it's not unusual for kids to put things in their mouth that don't belong there. Right? That's, that's pretty common. That happens. Well, our daughter decided one day that she found a bungee, a dirty bungee cord somewhere, and she put the hook end into her mouth and uh, cut her cheek. Now, she didn't run herself through with it. She just cut her cheek. But it healed over apparently too quickly, and there was dirt in there, whatever, and when it healed over, that, that dirt got trapped, and it created an infection, and they call that an abscess. And so we noticed it whenever her face started turning red, and her face started swelling up, and like, this is not normal, this is not good. So we took her to the doctor, and it was determined uh, that this abscess needed to be cleaned out properly. And in order to do that, it required a surgery. If we did not address this infection, that, uh, that infection would continue to eat away at the healthy cells in her cheek and create a hole in her face. So it had to be addressed, so we had to spend the night in the hospital, she had to have a surgery, then they did, they cleaned it out and took care of all of those things that needed to happen. And I know that's kind of a gross story, but I think that story illustrates why this series is so important to us, because when anger is left untreated, when we are offended even if it's from a, something that maybe seems small or minor, but we're offended and we just kind of let it rot and the anger builds in us and we don't get rid of it, it becomes toxic. It becomes like an infection and that wound won't heal. It slowly destroys whatever it touches. That's how anger works. There's a word for un treated anger like an infection. The word is bitterness. And bitterness always starts with a hurt. It's where it begins. It always starts with some offense. And that, that offense, that hurt, may be um, a, a minor pain or a minor frustration, but sometimes it can be something big. Sometimes it's a major injustice. Sometimes it's an inexcusable abuse. 
Sometimes it's an unexpected betrayal, and it's a big deal. It causes a major wound in our lives. Now, something we all, even if you're not a doctor, you know this, you've been around long enough to know that major wounds, whether you, know, you get stabbed, you get shot, you, you, uh, uh, you get run through at the construction site, if it's a major wound and it's not treated, what happens? Well, let's say uh, it's not the kind of thing they patch it up, right? You're not going to bleed out. Your guts aren't going to fall out. We're really getting gross and graphic today. Your guts aren't falling out, but they patch it up. But if it's not properly treated, what happens? Absolutely. Those major wounds, they need, there's a lot of care. If there's something that's left in there that doesn't belong, uh, it could be a wound, it could be a bullet, it could be whatever. If there's something in there that doesn't belong there, there's an infection. And that infection then works its way through the body, causing lots and lots of problems. We know that about major wounds, that they have to be tr- properly treated. But sometimes it's the small scratch that does the same thing. That small scratch in the cheek. I, I had uh, on my toe one time, I had a, just a small thing. It got some dirt in my toe and it got infected. And, and I wound up spending the night in the hospital all over something in my toe that was just minor. So it's not always these major wounds that we have to be concerned about. Sometimes if a small scratch, just a small offense, gets enough dirt in it, it can get infected and cause just as much damage as that untreated wound. So we have to take care of all of these things. We have to get rid of offenses, overlook them, get past them. We have to get rid of anger as quickly as possible. They cannot be left untreated. They cannot be left Uh, to fester in us, or they're going to cause problems. Now, if you're done with the whole infection uh, illustration at this point, good news, that's not the illustration that the writer of Hebrews uses. uses one uh, of a bitter root, which I think you'll enjoy more. So go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. While you're finding that, you need to know that this letter was written to a group of believers that were struggling, a group of believers who were really struggling to persevere in their faith. The main audience of this letter were people who had trusted Christ, but they were converts. Most of them were converts from the Jewish faith. And if you don't know, the Jewish faith believes in a coming Messiah. And this group of of people... Uh, believe they heard the gospel message that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise, that Jesus is the, the promised Messiah. And he came and he died for our sins and rose from the dead. They hear this gospel message and they believed it. And so they became Christians, followers of Jesus. But the Jewish faith at that time was protected by the Roman government as an official religion. Christianity was not. So there was two dynamics happening at the same time with this group of Christians. First of all, you had this group of Christians who were now, because they left their Jewish faith practices and were following Jesus, all of their friends, all of their family who were still practicing the Jewish faith insulted them, wanted nothing to do with them, uh, took steps back away from them relationally, and that, that's hard. In some, in some cases, even made life miserable for them. But then you also had the fact 
that because Christianity was not a, uh, an official religion recognized by the Roman government, oftentimes there was persecution involved. You could be put in prison. You could have your property confiscated. So you had all of these dynamics happening, and this group of Christians was, was wondering, is this worth it? I, I think I might just go back and practice my Jewish faith because at least then no one was picking on me. They weren't taking my stuff. I think I might, I might give this following Jesus stuff up. And that was what they were struggling with. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing this letter to encourage them. No, no, persevere in the faith. Persevere in following Jesus because He is the fulfillment of, of Old Testament prophecy. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of Moses. Jesus is the fulfillment of this promised Messiah. That's who he is. And so he's reminding them of this gospel truth about Jesus and trying to convince them to hang in there that it's worth it because Jesus is uh, who he claims to be, that he is God in the flesh, that he is the promised Messiah. So just understand that going into what we're looking at today, who these people are and they're, and they're struggling. If you, uh, if you think about the offense and the hurt that they were experiencing, it was real. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't just like someone pulled out in front of them in traffic. People were really being mean to them and making their lives miserable. And so we jump into this in that background, that context in verse 14. And so he calls them in verse 14 to work hard at living in peace with everyone. Work hard at living in peace with everyone. Work at living a holy life, for those who are not holy will see the Lord. We'll just pause there for a moment. Let's, let's tackle that first phrase, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. That was hard for them, because there were people who were making their lives miserable. And you think about your own life, that you hear that challenge, work hard, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. How, how are we supposed to do that if we're always ticked off at everyone, if we're always ticked off about everything? You go back and remember our passage from James back in week one, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Well, that's not an easy challenge to live out, but that's the challenge that we're expected to, to live out as followers of Jesus. And then the Ephesians 4 passage that we looked at the next week, to not let the sun go down while we're still angry, to get rid of our anger as quickly as possible. All of these passages that we've been looking at week after week remind us of the same basic truth. Deal with it. You're offended. Okay, you were offended. You were hurt. Uh, somebody insulted you. These things happen. We can't control what people say. We can't control what people do. We can't control what other people, uh, how they react or respond in situations. But we can control what we say, what we do. We can control how we react and how we respond. And that's what all of these passages are challenging us to do, to make the choice to overlook the offense, to make the choice to get rid of anger as quickly as possible. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone. This says make every effort to be holy. 
To be holy means to be set apart to God for His special use. God is the standard of holy perfection. And the challenge is to make every effort to live in such a way as the choices that we make, the words that we say, uh, our behaviors, that it is moving in a direction of being uh, holy, that we are uh, working towards that standard, God's standard of holiness, God's standard of doing what is, is right. And you think about how that connects to the first thing. If we are not making every effort to do the right thing, if we are not making every effort to make choices that honor God, if we are not making every effort to live in such a way that it pleases God, it is not likely that we are going to be able to live at peace with everyone. In fact, it's very unlikely that that will happen. So those two things are connected. And then it says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. This is an interesting phrase. We have to talk, I think, pause and talk about what this means. Because it sounds like, when you read it uh, j just in that, in that one sentence, it sounds like uh, our efforts in holiness, it, it is our effort to be holy that determines whether or not we get to see the Lord in heaven. It may sound like that. In fact, the, the next verse starts out in verse 15. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Or you may have in your, if you have an NIV, it says, see to it that no one misses, no one falls short of God's grace. And you read these two sentences and it's like, wait a minute, is that saying that salvation, our salvation is dependent upon our efforts to be holy? Because if that's what it's saying, we're in trouble. So let's just talk about it for a moment. We know from Romans 3.23 where we all stand before a holy God. Romans 3.23 says that we all, you, me, we all fall short of God's standard of holiness, of perfection. That's just a fact, a spiritual fact that our efforts... We, you, can, you can try as hard as you possibly can, and our efforts always fall short of God's standard of perfection. So this idea that somehow we can make enough effort to reach a standard of holiness that will be acceptable to God as perfect, that's not going to happen. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God, His standard of perfection. Now, verse 24 of Romans is the good news. That's the bad news. Verse 24 is the good news. We are justified. We are made right with God, quote, freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We have a sin problem, and God solved it. Jesus came and solved it. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. That's how we are made right with God. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says the same thing. Salvation is a gift of God's grace. A gift. It's not a payment. It's not a wage 
our wage, the wages of sin is what? It's death. That's what we deserve, spiritual death. Salvation is a gift, an unearned, undeserved gift that we are given by God, that, we are, that He offers to us, that we receive by faith in Jesus Christ, in His sacrificial death on the cross, the power of His resurrection from the grave. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 goes on to say, it's not of ourselves, it is a gift of God, it's not by works. It is not dependent upon our effort. Praise God that it's not. Our salvation depends fully on Jesus. Not our own effort to be holy. We are forgiven. We are forgiven of sin. We are made right with God when we put our Trust in Jesus alone to do that for us, which we cannot do for ourselves. Forgiveness of sin, being made right with God, given eternal life, given the Holy Spirit to live inside of us and transform our hearts and our minds and our lives. So we, we understand the gospel, and then we take it to verses 14 and 15 with that gospel understanding to help us clarify what this writer is, is talking about. Because the Word of God cannot contradict itself. So we take a gospel understanding into verses 14 and 15. And what we see is what he's saying here is actually consistent with the gospel message because the gospel does in fact teach that uh, we, we do fall short of God's standard of holiness, that we do in fact not deserve Heaven, we desperately need the gift of God's grace. And so this writer is saying that he doesn't want anyone, watch out for each other, he doesn't want anyone to miss out on the grace of God. Because without the grace of God, we cannot see the Lord. We cannot be set free from sin. Now we move on to this next part. And there, I think there is a connection. So he, he's saying, live as best you can. Live at peace with everyone. Make sure you don't miss out on the grace of God. That's very important. So these are big, important things. And the next thing is just as, just as important in the, in, the, in the mind of this writer of Hebrews. He later on will say, make sure that you don't do this. Make sure that you don't miss out on this. And so in verse 15, the second part of that, he says, watch out. It's the same kind of phrase, you know, look out after each other, make sure you don't miss God's grace. And then he says, watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. The NIV says no bitter root. Make sure, watch out that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. I have a couple pictures I want you to see. This is a picture of the maple tree in my backyard. Now, I know there's a lot going on in the yard there right now, and there's a picnic area and, and, and a fire pit and my wife's childhood tent, which she is very excited about, by the way, uh, in, the, in the background there. It looks like a circus tent, and uh, don't make fun of it. I'm telling you, she will be offended if you make fun of her childhood tent. Anyway, the reason I wanted you to see 
this maple tree. It is huge. It is beautiful. We love this maple tree. It creates lots of shade, lots of uh, opportunity for us to enjoy the yard. But you'll notice we have stones. We have river stone around it. And yes, it's nice. It creates a nice environment. But really, to be honest, the reason that there's river stone underneath our maple tree is because we can't get grass to grow. And the reason we can't get grass to grow is not because of the shade. They make grass that'll grow in shaded places. Maple trees have a root system that just sucks the moisture out of the ground. And so it is really, really, really hard to get grass to grow, especially under a huge maple tree like this, because it just sucks, those roots just suck the moisture out of the ground. Hold on to that idea. We'll come back to it. Go to the next picture. This is the stump of a huge aspen tree that we used to have up until this summer. We had this huge aspen tree in the back of our yard. It was fascinating to watch them cut it down. But these, this aspen tree has this really irritating root system, and it come up, comes up out of the ground, and uh, it just, it was, I, hate, I hated this tree. I was so glad to get rid of this tree. But what I want you to notice, do you see around the edges of a dead tree stump? Those are sprouts of more aspen trees. If you look a, far, a little farther out, you can kind of see there's a little bit of a root coming up out of the ground at that upper right corner. And what you'll notice, if you look carefully, there are sprouts of more aspen trees. I cut this stupid thing down because I hated it, and now all of these aspen trees, these little sprouts, are coming up all over the place. Why? Well, because the roots are still in the ground. Now, I know what's going to happen. I'm just going to deal with this right now. When church is over, I'll get a text message. I'll get an email. I'll get somebody uh, here in the room that will come up and say, you know, you can have those roots removed. They, they do that. They'll take the stump out and they'll take the... Yeah, I know. It also costs 500 extra dollars that I didn't have in my budget uh, when I cut the tree down. Okay? So if you want to donate $500 to get rid of the roots... Anyway... So as long as those roots are, are there in the ground, these sprouts will continue to come up. And the writer of Hebrews is using this image of roots to describe bitterness. Bitterness is like these tree roots that grow under the surface. And the longer they grow, that aspen tree has been there a billion years. I don't know how long it's been there, but it's been there a long time. And those roots are in the ground. And, and it's gonna, if I do have to get those pulled out of there, it's going to be a lot of work. The harder they are to deal with, the longer they grow. And that maple tree has been there a long time. And the longer the roots are in the ground, the more resources they pull out of the ground. You think about that in our own lives, that bitterness, the longer it's there, the more problems it causes, the more joy, the more peace it sucks out of our soul. The more unwanted little tree shoots that pop up in our lives, where did that come from? I didn't plant that stupid tree. Has that ever happened to you? Something, something irritates you, something frustrates you, something offends you, and then before you know it, you've said something, 
You've given a facial look. You've responded some way. And you're like, whoa. Like after you calm down, you're like, wow, where did that come from? That, that is, uh, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, I shouldn't have behaved that way. That did not look like a follower of Jesus, what I just did, what I just said. And I don't even know where it came from. I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but if it has, most likely what has just happened in that moment is something just shot up out of that root of bitterness. And maybe you didn't even know that it was growing underneath the surface. I also want you to notice that bitterness doesn't just impact the person who has allowed anger to fester, I'll go back to my original illustration, like an infection in the heart, an infection in the mind that creates problems. It's not just the person who's affected by the bitterness and the bitter root sucking the resources of joy and peace out of your soul. It says here that it can cause trouble, yes, and defile Many, that poisonous root, that bitter root, can affect other people. My grandfather used to make his own horseradish sauce, too. I remember when I was a kid, I don't know, 10 years old, something, I was small. I walked uh, into my grandfather's house, and apparently he had just finished processing some horseradish sauce, and he used to store it. After he was done making it, he used to store it in peanut butter jars. And so when I walked into my grandfather's kitchen, uh, he said to me, Hey, Mark, would you like to try some white peanut butter? That sounds delicious. I like peanut butter. I've never had white peanut butter. And I took a big spoonful of white peanut butter and everybody laughed. Everybody thought that was hilarious, that I almost died from a big spoonful of horseradish. His, his bitter root, which he processed, which he stored, which he worked with, affected me in a profound way. And our bitterness is, is like that, in that our bitterness impacts it affects other people and it could be just simply through your bad mood that affects people around you that my bad attitude affects people around me it affects our relationships with people bad moods bad attitudes these these kind of things they're contagious when you are angry about something when you are offended about something. Just be honest. You're not going to get a prize. I don't have any more books to give you. Just be honest. How often, when you're offended, when you're angry, how often do you just, in that moment, take it to the Lord in prayer? Like right then and there, you take it to the Lord in prayer, and you ask the Lord, Lord, here's what happened. Please help me sort this out. Please take care of this. Help me let go of this quickly. Like immediately you pray about it. How often does that happen? Versus how often, when you're offended, when you are angry, irritated, frustrated, how often do you tell anyone who will listen to you? You don't take it to Jesus. You take it to anyone who will listen to you. Or you post it online for the whole world to see. 
hoping that you will get a bunch of responses of people willing to join you in your anger, which happens. Bitterness contaminates. It poisons relationships and, and families and marriages and friendships and churches. We need to get rid of it. We need to get rid of it. And that's why the writer of Hebrews challenges us to make sure that we don't miss out on God's grace. That's pretty important, right? Don't want to miss out on God's grace, because without God's grace, we can't see heaven. We can't see the Lord. Pretty important. But he also says to make sure we don't let bitterness take root in our hearts, in our minds, because it's really hard to live a life of holiness when bitterness is poisoning our words, when bitterness is poisoning our attitudes, when bitterness is poisoning our responses. But what if it's already happened? What if you're already the maple tree? What if you're already the aspen tree? What if you would sit here right now and say, you know what, Pastor Mark, I get that. That makes total sense to me. I wish you to preach this sermon three years ago. Because I'm already the maple tree, and bitterness is just sucking the joy and the peace out of my soul. And there are things popping up in my words, in my reactions, and, and, and in my mood, in my attitude that I don't want there, and I sometimes don't even know where it came from. It's already happened to me. What do I do? How do we, how do we kill the bitter root? How do we rip up the the roots of bitterness. There are two things. Like if, if we, if we want to rip up those roots and, and get rid of that uh, root system from my aspen tree, there's a process. We call, we call someone, we pay the money, they, they take the machines, they do the stuff, right? There's a process to it. When we talk about spiritual ripping out of bitterness and getting rid of that bitter root, there's, there's two things that we need to do. Now, the first one, I'm sure, uh, probably came to your mind right off the bat. Forgiveness is part of this. And we're actually going to pause on forgiveness because I need a whole sermon to talk about that. We're going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to end the series next week talking about forgiveness. Forgiveness absolutely is a root killer. It is a root killer. We need forgiveness. But we need more time to talk about it. Today, the other root killer, if you think of it in, in these terms, there are two things that we need to kill the roots of bitterness, forgiveness, but here's the second one. We, if we want to kill those roots, we need to trust, make a choice to trust God to handle injustices. Let me say it again. We need to make a choice to trust God to handle injustices. If you follow along on the digital notes, I have uh, just a ton of verses, and I'm going to just read them to you right from the version notes, okay? Because I've got a bunch of them, and this is just the quickest way to do it. And what I want you to notice about these verses, if you're following along here, great. If you're just going to listen, that's fine too. You're going to notice a pattern. You're going to notice a theme this idea of trusting the Lord to deal with, to handle injustice is not like a one-verse thing. It is all through Scripture. We're going to start in the Old Testament. Listen to this. This is from Psalm 37. 
Be still in the presence of the Lord. Now, you might have heard that, right? Be still in the presence of the Lord. And we're like, okay, we just need to be quiet, be still in God's presence, and, and then you'll have peace. That's not where the verse ends. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. When you turn the news on this week, I want you to go to this verse and remind yourself of this truth. Stop being angry. When was the last... Don't, don't raise your hand. When was the last time you yelled at your television? Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Psalm 27, wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. Proverbs 20, don't say, I will get even for this wrong. Wait for the Lord to handle the matter. Proverbs 24, don't say, now I can pay them back for what they've done to me. I'll get even with them. Don't say that. Matthew 5, now we're in the New Testament. There's lots more in the Old Testament. Here's the New Testament. Matthew 5, quoting Jesus. You have heard the law that says the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Well, that sounds reasonable. You did that to me, I'm going to do it to you. But I say, but Jesus says, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. Hmm. Matthew 5, this is later on in the same chapter, verse 43. Jesus continues, you have heard the law that says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Yep, we like that one. Keep that law. That's a good law, right? But I say, but Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives sunlight to both the evil and the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. I've got a wicked neighbor, and for some reason, God rains on his garden the same he rains on mine. That doesn't seem fair, right? I'm just kidding about the neighbor thing. I like my neighbors. They're good neighbors. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that for you? Even corrupt tax collectors, even... These government officials who are just dark, black, corrupt as they can possibly be, even they can figure out how to be nice to people who are nice to them. Not hard. If you're kind only to your friends, how different, different are you from anyone else? Even the pagans can figure that one out. But you are to be perfect. Isn't that what we just read in Hebrews? Be holy. Make every effort to be holy as God is holy. First Peter says the same thing. Make every effort to be holy as God is holy. That's our standard. That's the goal that we're working towards, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Yeah, it's hard. We've got a different standard. Am I done yet? Nope. Romans 12. Romans 12. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live at peace with everyone. That sounds familiar, what we just read. Dear friends, never take revenge. Listen to this. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy, so 
a reference back to the Old Testament. God says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Trust God to handle, to deal with injustice. That's what these verses say. Your enemies are hungry, feed them. They're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. Don't let evil conquer you. Don't let the bitter root, the infection, ruin you. Conquer evil by doing good. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, See that no one pays back evil for evil. Always try to do good to each other and all people. Hebrews 10, We know the one who said, I will take revenge. This is, again, a reference back to the same passage in Deuteronomy. God says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said the Lord will judge his own people. God will handle the injustice. One more. 1 Peter 3.9, Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. We don't like that one, do we? Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and He will grant you His blessing. I don't know. I I may have this one way wrong. Sometimes when, when I'm in the car and... I offend someone with my driving. It happens sometimes, right? I've offended someone, and they are upset to the point where they not only honk, but they give me the one-finger salute, like I'm number one, I guess. I don't know. But, uh, so so they, they do that, and you know the Bible says, don't repay evil for evil, so it's not the right thing to do to just you know flip them off back. That's, that's not the right thing to do. So... Uh, so what I do sometimes is I give them the thumbs up and a big smile. I don't think that's probably the right way to do it either. That's not really a blessing. Is that really a blessing? Probably not. Probably not. It's hard, right? It's hard. But that's who we're supposed to be. As, it, as It's easy to be nice to people who are nice to you. Anybody can do that. Pagans who don't know God can do that. We're called to something different. And we're given the power, the ability to do it, uh, spiritual power, because the Holy Spirit lives inside the believer. And we have to rely on His help to do the hard things. Let me illustrate it this way. We're almost done. If, if, you, have, if you have kids, I have three kids. If you have kids, you can relate to this. You know that there is something inside of us as a parent that just switches on when our kids are hurt by someone. When our kids are wronged by someone. You might call it the mama bear gene. You might call it the daddy warrior. Whatever you want to describe it as. When our kids are hurt, it's hard to trust the person in authority to deal with that, just, that injustice that's been done to our child. Maybe it's the teacher at school, the administration. Maybe you're, you have to trust the police. You have to trust the judge. And if we were being honest, in those moments, there's like this little vigilante inside of us that wants to make sure that they don't get away with it. You knocked my little Buford down on the playground. I'm going to punt your little butt right out of this playground, right? Right? There's something inside of a parent that's like, no, 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 not with my kid. 
It's hard, and I, and I can't even imagine, right? I cannot imagine the vigilanteism that would, that would be in a person's heart whose child was hit and maybe killed by a drunk driver, whose child was raped, whose child was murdered. I can't imagine the desire that would, that just in my own flesh, that would be there to want to make sure that I'm going to, I'm going to take care of this injustice against my child. But that's why we have a system of justice. We have a system of justice in place so that we don't abuse other people's bratty kids. There's a system of justice in place so that we don't become murderers ourselves. God has hardwired us to desire justice, but he's also instituted governments to be instruments of justice, to make and enforce laws. Yes, I understand, and I would agree that they don't always get it right, right? Sometimes governments don't even come close to getting it right. They don't fulfill, always, they don't always fulfill their God-given purpose, true, but when it comes to the personal level, God is, is challenging us, He's asking us, He's commanding us to trust Him to handle injustice, to not be a vigilante. Instead of making our life mission to make sure this person is not going to get away with this, God says, no, 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 I got this. Trust me, I'll handle it. I'll handle it. Let me handle it. Let me sort it out. And when we feel that tension, here's what I want you to remember, especially if you're a parent, you'll get this. The next time you feel that tension, I want you to, to remember how you feel as a parent when your child suffers harm, when your child suffers injustice. You know how that feels. I want you to remember that God himself has described himself as our heavenly father. That's how God's revealed himself. How must our heavenly father feel when one of his children is hurt? How must he feel when one of his children suffers an injustice? You think he doesn't feel that? My mom used to remind me when I was younger, that God has some very creative ways and much more powerful ways of dealing with those who hurt us than we ever could. The point in telling me that was she would remind me, let God handle it. Let God handle it. Trust Him. He's got it. Let Him sort it out. We're going to stop there for today. Next week, we're going to finish this series with forgiveness. And I'm going to focus on this idea next week. Just kind of prepare yourself. How do, we, how do we learn how to cancel the debt? Because a lot of time, forgiveness really is no more than really learning how to, yeah, that person wronged you. That person, in our minds and our hearts, they owe me. They owe me an apology. They owe me whatever. They owe me. What if we learned how to cancel the debt? We'll talk about that next week. We talk about that root killer of forgiveness. But today, let's ask God to help us deal with 
when, when we're offended, when, when, when we're angered, let's ask God to help us get rid of it and deal with it quickly so that the roots don't grow, so the infection doesn't take over and do damage. And if it already has happened, then let's ask God to help us learn, number one, how to trust Him to handle that injustice for us. To say, Lord, I was wronged, I was hurt, my, my kid, my friend, whatever. I, I'm angry about this, but I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to let you handle it. Take away the anger, take away uh, the, this offense from me, take it away from me so it doesn't, so it doesn't put a root in, in, in my heart, so it doesn't infect my mind. I trust you with it, Lord.